show on a Friday. Uh, kind of a, a special show. I want to take a look at a couple things today. And uh, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the headlines as much. But I, I do want to start with the headlines for one second and talk about them generally, if you will. Uh, make sure you go to katedallyradio.com for the podcast of the show. I am seeking to inform today and to really educate and understand uh, our country, maybe maybe correct some history um, that is playing out right now in the conversations we're having in the headlines right now. And uh, also look at a kind of a funny way in which people, but that people use to sort of change up what, uh, or maybe make a small change to their uh, kind of oppressive government, if you will. So we're going to be looking over into a foreign land for that. And then I want to talk about America in that last hour of the show, in the last hour today, because I want to, I want to bring up where we came from and why. Um, because there are so many w- ways that we solved problems and and what we went through that really isn't discussed today. And we have a big problem, I think, with context in this country. We run high on emotion, low on context in history. <laughs> that is a serious, serious issue for us. And I think it's that's probably the, one of the biggest things that's created um, a very ill-informed society because emotion's really easy to turn to. And I'm looking at all the headlines and I'm looking at what we were talking about yesterday in the way of uh, TAPS, T-A-P-S, you know, and really kind of uh, dialing in on that and looking at at the grave danger that that bill uh, um, is going to present if it goes through. The problem is, is that we all know that if it doesn't go through, they'll keep trying every year until it does. And what it is, it's a pre-crime bill. And it's a pre-crime bill that's very oppressive because it's very, um, um, well, it, it, it robs you of your God-given rights, what's supposed to be government-protected rights in our Bill of Rights. And you are, you can be deemed dangerous without being dangerous. And they can basically do to you what they want to do to you, all in the name of safety. That's pretty dangerous territory that we're sitting on right now. And Americans are uh, have this wonderful ability to look ahead and say what's coming and be able to warn about that. That's why we formed this country. We were able to look ahead and say, you know, we, we can see it. We can see the writing on the wall. And we shouldn't be any different now. Um, if anything, I know you and I probably are looking into the future and it, it looks a little grim and I understand why. In fact, today I had kind of a darker topic, actually, that I was going to move forward with and, and kind of describing maybe what we were going to be looking at in, a, in maybe a decade from now or maybe five years from now. And it was pretty grim. And I thought to myself, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I, I, I want to. I, right now we have an opportunity to keep fighting and to keep understanding where we're at and it's that big wake-up call, right? The big wake-up, the big awakening to what is actually going on, to our awful situation, if you, if you want to go off that, uh, that, that book title. And this is a, a sort of a precarious place that we're in right now because we have to have an amount of hope. And then we also have to have an amount of understanding. And that hope will drive us. And it's hard to have a lot of hope because you can see all around you all the hits that we're taking to our liberty. But we still are in a situation to fight. And we're still in a situation, and when I mean fight, I mean nonviolent fighting. <laughs> I want to clarify that because, you know, you know how our government works. And um, what I'm talking about is more along the lines of trying to understand what's happening. And 
and get people to wake up to it because an educated populace could prevent some of these things from happening just because they have these plans and these projects that they're doing the government projects that they put in place for a long time doesn't mean they actually get their way if we have an educated populace and I still think it's worth fighting for um, I want to look at, uh, at an oppressive government, what that really looks like. There was a, um, an article quite a long time ago uh, by a Forbes staff writer, and she wrote about her life inside the Soviet uh, Union, the USSR, right before it went down. Um, and she talked about being a child and not really understanding what was going on and trying to find joy in her very limited uh, life in her very limited life and what they were up against as a family and how they tried to find joy in that. And she talked about the fact that she had joined this little uh, Octoberist club, this organization, kind of like the Boy Scouts, and it was for aspiring Soviet communists. And she talked about the fact that she was actually so excited about this because she had a, a, a new barrette and she had a new pin, uh, this little red star that, that would actually, um, you know, that, that she thought sort of glowed. And she felt like she just wanted people to notice her. She just wanted people to notice as she walked around. And... She said that during her childhood, I mean, this was kind of one of her little moments of joy in the 80s, but um, but that uh, she didn't realize she didn't realize all the propaganda she was under and that this was very, very tough for her. And as an as as she got up to the later teenage years and also her college, she she realized she finally realized how much indoctrination they had been under. But growing up, they still tried to find as much joy as they as they possibly could and that when she looked through her little maze of what she said Soviet memories um, and being raised behind the Iron Curtain she said you know our families gathered around dining tables for boiled potatoes and pickled tomatoes and cucumbers and we tried to enjoy ourselves and we repeated party lines like little parrots you know um, all power to the Soviets or peace to the people or land to the peasants and she said I started becoming a little communist in the early 80s um, and and, and as she looked back at her past, she she looked at she she looked at her parents and 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 she realized that they hardly had you know enough for clothing. They were very very limited in clothing and food, and they kind of had to game the system a little bit. Um, when you showed up for um, different rations towards towards the nineties, when you were when you were showing up for these kinds of foods, you actually had to have enough bodies to account for how much food they gave you. So she was, she, you know, family members would drag her with them so they could get uh, more for the family. And she said, you know, she had all these flashbacks of, of watching figure skating on one of two channels that they were given and a mandatory portrait of Lenin on the wall. And that she she also recalled some happinesses. Um, she said, you know, she said we were constantly told that the leaders were of the finest quality and that we felt bad for those with misfortune to be born in other nations. And the teachers would show them pictures of, of um, what America. America was saying about them and showing them as as, um, you know, just the blight of what they were uh, going through. And she remembers thinking, well, America's getting it so wrong. I mean, I've have I have little bits of happiness. I mean, I'm not I'm not um, suffering, you know, every day like the Americans say. 
But she said as she grew older, she realized how oppressed they were. And But, but that's how she looked at it as a kid. She wanted to make sure that those people in the West, uh, that they, they were just getting it wrong because the pictures that the teachers would show were photos depicting skinny children in striped robes walking in a straight line. And she said, but when I looked around, I didn't see that. But she said, but later on, I realized, you know, what was going on here. She said that we were under very, very, uh, you know, strict um, physical punishment, um, harsh uh, language, uh, just, you know, she said, basically now, she said people would have been calling, the, you know, calling in the authorities had they had they been under the same thing right now um, here in America. But she said, you know, um, she said we were we, we had porridge and, and salty margarine spread on stale bread, but we had bread. And so she kept looking at it like, look, we're we're OK. Um, and so um, she said her great grandmother was sort of steeped in this more than her parents. Her parents didn't want to become com- uh, communists into the Communist Party. But her grandmother did. And they would sing these songs and they would become part of these marches. And it wasn't until later that she finally she finally saw and was able to get to a point where she could recognize this amount of propaganda. And she said the state provided them with homes and health care and cheap consumer goods and basic food. And she said and her grandmother would always say, but this education is free. And she realized later on, well, yeah, but they didn't have anything and they all didn't have anything. And it was so limited. You had no choices. You couldn't you couldn't choose anything. You couldn't decide for yourself. Um, And so basically, she said, you know, we didn't we didn't have anything. We pretty much had to to do what we were kind of told to do for jobs. And 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 she said, uh, dresses were made out of me from my dad's shirts and winter coats and duffel bags, all from materials we already possessed. And Western goods became available in the Ukraine and they would travel to go get them. And she said, you know, we lived in a tight communal living. She said we were given an apartment, but she said so many people had to occupy each apartment that you were sleeping in chairs with family members. I mean, this is this is just how they lived. She said we had a two bedroom, you know, they had seven people. And she said we did all of our laundry by hand and we were cramped. Um, but the but the grandmother would keep saying, but but we felt taken care of by our government. We felt taken care of. <laughs> and we should just be grateful that we're taken care of. Man, you know, when when you think about the kind of propaganda that you get fed and the acceptance level that you get um, with a dependent government. And she named a doll after a, a girl that had written uh, that had written Lenin and Lenin invited this girl from America over and her name was Samantha Smith. And the little girls were naming their dolls after Samantha Smith because Samantha Smith came over to visit to see that it wasn't that bad. Right. I've heard stories like this about Cuba. I've heard stories about uh, like this about China. I've had guests on my show that have talked about the exact same experiences. And she said, you know, I pulled myself out of this. I finally had an opportunity to leave. I finally had the opportunity to see what I'd been missing. And if we're not careful, we can be in this very same situation where we keep getting used to having very, very little freedom and very, very little um, anything. 
And she said, you know, she said, people, people my age that grew up in the USSR, she said, we, we grew up to adulthood before even learning what was going on with labor camps and, and famines and massacres. Because she goes, I didn't see it firsthand. She said it was rumored, but she said you almost didn't believe that that was going on because they kept it so far away from everybody. And she said this very, very oppressive, you know, uh, uh, style of government. She said, what we have to be so careful is, is that we get inside a box so far that we cannot even fathom that kind of evil. So we don't think it exists. And she said in opening people's eyes, she said to what we have to what uh, th- this where America is headed right now is she said, this is this is the big wake up call right now. This is a time in history where if we don't get it right right now, we might never get this right. And we might be in that same position. And there are many, many people like her crying out, going, this is what it's like, people. This is what it's like if we don't get a good root and understanding of, of what we've got here. I'll be right back on the Kate Daly Show. Watch your Visa Rewards points multiply faster than ever before? Make the switch to reward yourself checking with Golden West Credit Union. Credit or debit, you'll earn rewards points with both on the same account. So you can redeem them faster for travel, gift cards, shopping, and more. Plus, you'll get discounts on auto, RV, and personal loans. It's not just rewards. It's reward yourself checking from Golden West. Apply now at GWCU.org. Member NCUA. We'll take care of you. We all know that where people gather, so do germs. And it's the same with our kids. Buses, classrooms, and locker rooms are swimming with germs. Stuckey Family Pharmacy has a few tips that will help your kids avoid getting sick. First, remind your children to wash their hands with soap and water. And as a backup, put hand sanitizer in their backpacks or lunch boxes. Next, if you sneeze or cough, don't cover it with your hand. That's a fantastic way to spread germs. Use a tissue instead. And finally, backpacks are great germ carriers. Wipe and disinfect them regularly. And keep tables in common at home backpack free zones. Now, even with all these precautions, kids will get sick. If your child wakes up sick one day, you may wonder whether it's a cold, flu, or even strep. You can find out quickly at Stuckey Family Pharmacy with their point of care services. You simply walk into the pharmacy, take the tests, get results in minutes, and when appropriate, get the proper prescription medications all in one stop. Learn more at StuckeyFamilyPharmacy.com. Have a safe and healthy school year from Stuckey Family Pharmacy, voted best in Southern Utah. How would you like to participate in stock market gains with zero risk? Join Lyle Boss of Boss Financial Friday afternoons at 5 on St. George News Radio 1450. Have you been struggling with erectile dysfunction? Hi guys, it's Andrew with Wasatch Medical Clinic. There is now a breakthrough and long-lasting fix for erectile dysfunction that does not require medication, injections, or surgery. You heard that right, no more pills. This new treatment is called acoustic wave therapy. It utilizes an FDA-cleared device that is clinically proven to increase blood flow, exactly what you need more of if you have ED. With just a few short treatments in our clinic, you can eliminate erectile dysfunction completely. Call in the next three minutes, and we'll give you the initial doctor's exam, assessment, and blood flow ultrasound totally free. That's a $300 value. Call now, 435-922-7000. That's 435-922-7000. If you have erectile dysfunction and you're sick of the pills, call Wasatch Medical Clinic right now for that free assessment. 
435-922-7000. Did you know that a swim spot or hot tub can actually offer you a multitude of options to lose weight, get in shape, and improve your overall health? Absolute Comfort Spa and Pool has amazing combination hot tub and swim spa units. Absolute Comfort can show you how quick, easy, and affordable it can be to own your own hot tub or swim spa. Thanks for voting them number one in pools and spas best of Southern Utah. Learn more today and improve your health. Visit AbsoluteComfortUtah.com. Apple, Amazon, Google, great things can come out of a garage. And over at Garage Doors Only, we make sure your garage doors are in the best possible working order. We service, repair, and install garage doors and openers. Give us a call at 435-868-1200 or come see us at our showroom at 689 North Bluff. Check out our reviews by Googling Garage Doors Only. And let's make great things happen in your garage this year. If you're out hunting for the best RV to keep you from sleeping on the hard ground this fall, then shoot straight on over to Nielsen RV for their gigantic scouting sale. Scout out the perfect RV from the area's largest selection of previously owned travel trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, and motorhomes. Get the best bang for your hard-earned bucks at the Nielsen RV scouting sale. Going on now at Nielsen RV in St. George off the Bluff Street exit under the giant American flag on State Street in Hurricane or NielsenRV.com. This summer, why not get new flooring? Ogden's Flooring and Design is having a super summer sale on all flooring. Plus, get a premium pad upgrade when you purchase carpet. And enjoy 12 months, no interest financing, OAC. Only at Ogden's Flooring and Design. See store for details. This is Jill at Ogden's Flooring and Design. Make this a summer to remember with new flooring. Stop in to Ogden's Flooring and Design today. Southern Utah's best choice for home furnishings. We're near Costco on 850 North. See you soon. Flooring and Design. Hey, Mr. Wildfire, what can I get you today? Well, I'll have a toasted woodshed shingle sandwich, the backyard dry brush salad, and an old gazebo sundae sprinkled with precious photos and family heirlooms. Anything to drink, sweet pie? Yeah, carelessly stored paint thinner. Knowing what wildfire likes to eat is half the battle. Visit firewise.org to find out how you can help make your home more defensible against wildfires. Firewise.org, a public service brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Hi there. Welcome back. Kate Daly Show. All right. Uh... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a subject that's kind of a, an interesting one. Uh, make sure you get over to katedalyradio.com and make sure you get balance of nature. Make sure that you are getting that supplement. It is really, really good. I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't love it. And uh, every time I recommend something on the show, it's because I personally take it myself or have, um, or have used it myself. And I'm telling you, balance of nature is awesome. Fruits and vegetables every single day. Uh, it really has built up my immune system. And I'm not kidding. You start to feel it probably about after a week or two, uh, about a week, I, I was like, wow, this is really good, really great stuff. And when you look at the ingredient list, you'll know why. Um, make sure that you're getting this. It's affordable. Every family should be uh, taking this supplement, and you need it for your health. And you can also get 30% off if you do the code Kate when you order at balanceofnature.com. 
You know, I was thinking about what do you do when you get to um, a, a government style that's extremely oppressive? How do you make a change without being violent? How can you make a change in another way? And this is a this has always been sort of a quest of understanding because I think that right now we mean, we need to understand things that we can do because I'm not an advocate of, of, of being violent about it at all. I think that we could actually address it in different ways. And I thought this was a very unique way to address it. And so I'm going to give you this example of something that actually happened um, as we're looking at Norway, uh, of all countries. Uh, uh, Jorgen uh, Johansson uh, wrote this, and I felt like this was something that we could probably, I'm going to put my glasses on, probably learn from, was that Sometimes you can do it with humor. Sometimes, sometimes going about it a different way can actually draw more attention and make a better change uh, than any other thing can do. And so uh, let's explore some of our, our avenues. When he was writing about this, he said one form of, of state violence was punishment and imprisonment for opponents to the state. And he said in this in this particular case study, he said he described, uh, the, you know, this country was always eager to criticize other parts of the world, but they also had their own problems, too. And he said in this country in particular, um, the struggle had gone on for about 400 years um, where you had nonviolence and civil disobedience. And the Norwegian history of the development of, of democracy there was exceptionally free from violence. But there was they were they, they were they were getting pretty oppressive. And as he wrote about this, he said, look, he said, uh, the, the, the total resistors were persons who refused to accept any form of, of conscription. And even in the cases where they were offered the opportunity to do civil service outside the army, they refused to accept that service. They didn't want to be made to do something. And so the reasons for their stands all varied, but most of the resistors looked at the system of conscription as having the main function of creating discipline. But... He said there were a lot of people that uh, they refused to serve a modern form of slavery or accept a hard labor camp. Uh, they weren't going to do it. And so the behavior had always been and was still a threat to the power of the state, as you could probably imagine. So he said if people refuse to do this, uh, they were they are told by the parliamentarians they will lose their power. So in order to secure their obedience to the parliament, they had passed a new law back in 65, stating that individuals who refused civil service would serve their service in a special camp or an institution under the administration of the prison authorities. And the special camp, it, it was only accepted, um, well, they, they had to serve a 16-month sentence there at least. And so all the other uh, total resistors uh, served their service in an institution in the administration of the prison authorities. And he said, so it, was, it, it got a little complicated, but he said the reason of doing this was the unwillingness to accept that they had political prisoners. Um, by defining their imprisonment as serving the civilian service, they avoided the terms of punishment, prisoner, and trial. See, they made it look different to the rest of the world and, and hide the image, um, you know, make sure they projected a certain image to the rest of the world. So in practical terms, the individual who refused uh, is called up to court and a judge asks if he's the right person and if he really refused to do any form of, of service like this. And when the ceremony is over, it was up to the Department of Justice to send him to prison for 16 um, months and he's never accused of anything and whatever he or the lawyer says, the result was always the same.
And so they never called him a prisoner or even a criminal. And so he said what he does is 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 what they're doing was not illegal. The the government made it so that they could make sure that that the person does their service, if not by free will, then by locking them up. They were going to teach them a, a thing or two. So the prosecutor had quite an, an easy job in these cases. And in the beginning of the 80s, they even began to stay in their offices during the trial because they weren't even ne- they weren't even needed. They weren't even necessary um, because whatever happened, the result was going to be the same. Sixteen months in prison. So he said uh, he said basically they passed this law and few individuals refused it because they knew what was going to happen to them. And then there was a campaign against conscri- conscription back in started in 1981. So there was a group of individuals and they really obviously had a problem with this and they were tr- trying to decide what to do. And so he said. I, uh, in 1983, there was a lawyer who was called to city court in Oslo for refusing to do his civil service. And as one of his friends, I was asked if I could help him to use the case to promote a discussion on total resistance. He said the idea uh, that, that was had was to impersonate a prosecutor. This guy was going to impersonate a prosecutor. So as mentioned, uh, you know, earlier, the prosecutors now didn't even have to go to court, right? They didn't even, they stopped showing up, mainly because they weren't even needed. Because, of course, you got 16 months in prison anyway. So the plan was for him to dress up like a prosecutor and to tell the judge that he had come because the accused uh, was a lawyer. We wanted to use a video camera in order to make a documentary of the action and on how the uh, opposition are treated in Norway. And what looked like a normal trial was just a play where everyone knew the results. So... In order to show this, if the state wanted a play, then we wanted, to, we wanted it on our own conditions. So we wanted to show the country the illusion of justice. And they planned to wake the people up with, with a little bit of laughter and maybe get, a, maybe get some balance in this so people could see the, the total just ridiculousness of this. So in the morning, he had dressed up to properly look as serious as possible, and he put on a large black coat. He had actually planned uh, planned to do this when the judge understood, uh, you know, what was going on. The video film um, should, you know, documented uh, this. But he said um, to have asked for permission, we would would have been suspicious and probably not allowed to bring a camera in. So when I went to the judge and presented myself as the prosecutor for the day, he only asked if I was new. I admitted I was new. And before he asked me to take my place, a little astonished, he sat down and took all my friends smiling from the from the uh, public bench. And I asked by the judge to present this case. I relied on my experience from my own cases since in the early 70s I'd been involved in some civil disobedience. So I looked like a lawyer. So this was the first time as a prosecutor. And he said, I, de- I decided to overplay the part and behaved like a rude, hard, old-fashioned prosecutor. In fact, he went above and beyond. You know, and he said, today, when, in, when we have... Let's see. When we today have a man of law as the accused, a lawyer refusing to do his service to the country, we cannot have any leniency. The punishment must be the hardest possible. I mean, really going overboard. Right. And the judge did not know that he was pretending to be the the prosecutor. The judge kept nodding as if he was totally agreeing with everything he was saying. Yes. Yes. I mean, this, this guy should go to prison. Yes. So after some hours, the trial ended and the judge still had not understood what was going on. Still didn't get the joke. And he said, we left the courtroom and we waited 
one week before we told the media what had happened. It was like an explosion. The national radio interviewed him on, on a direct line from his workplace, and the television news brought parts of our video and made news item out of it. And almost every national paper had the story on the front page, and everyone laughed. The old conservative lawyers had to smile after the modern after witnessing this modern charade, and a lot of people asked how it could be done. Where is the justice within our judicial system? Um, could anyone just walk in from the street and play a prosecutor for a friend? Where was the real prosecutor? Why hadn't he even bothered to come into court into the courtroom? Why wasn't he even needed? And so the uh, after the interviews of him and his friend, the questions were slightly different. Who were these people? Why didn't they get a real trial? Um, how could it be that the state doesn't look at 16 months in prison as punishment? Because they weren't calling it a punishment, remember? So he said, do we really have political prisoners here? And people started asking more questions. And the debate started. And seven years later, the situation was quite different. He'd been in contact with more than 200 people who had refused their service in recent years. And everyone interested in peace issues had some knowledge about total resistance in government, you know, as it had made a proposal for the new law. And the new law proposes that there be a real trial. So this new law emerges with possibilities to argue and get shorter and imprisonment and and resistors to this, uh, the advantages of being real prisoners, um, and then the maximum uh, imprisonment to be, of course, far shorter. And the judge was one of those loyal lawyers who had worked in their, their Department of Justice there in Norway. And before ending his career, he wanted to be a judge for a few years. And in one of his first cases, this happened to him. Every colleague, the person on the street, most journalists, friends, everyone saw him as a representative of a very unjust system. As if it weren't enough, they laughed at him for being being an idiot and not realizing the play acting going on in the court case and the way he was treated was not intended but totally unavoidable no one in the group doing his actions saw him personally as the enemy as responsible for the evil system but it was like kicking the man not the ball in football and so one of the um, so as they as they moved forward in this and and he said he watched some of the system change because when you when you can take humor and you can devise a, a plan to expose something without directly exposing it, that that actually draws that sort of non-defensive behavior from people. And they wanted to know more and they wanted to know what in the world was going on. And, and so they kept. They kept doing things like this. They kept bringing attention in, in more of a humorous way to get people to respond because people were so asleep. And I, when I looked at this and I thought, you know, that judge really did. He tried to have a career after this and he was just looked like a total, you know, idiot and, and, and just the face of a system that had gone so terribly wrong. And I thought about all the ways in which people can draw attention to um, sort of what's going on right now. We talked about TAPS yesterday. You know, we talked about this this hideous, hideous pre-crime bill. We've talked about these different kinds of things that are coming up that could really hurt us. And in thinking about this and giving it, uh, well, just really giving it a lot of thought, I was thinking about how do we, how do we get people to understand what is going on? Can we take humor can we um, can we go to the extreme like these guys did? They took a big chance, but they also look what they were look what they were able to do in drawing some attention. There wasn't anything about that except that, that you had to acknowledge that their system had become so corrupt, right? Because if we're ever going to be about solutions right now, if we're ever going to address how to turn this boat around, because it's becoming oppressive quickly 
My husband and I were talking about this last night. We're talking about how fast things are happening right now. Red flag laws. The, you know, the, 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 I was going to say annihilation, but really so many infringements right now in the Second Amendment to annihilate it. If we lose that, we're sunk. But look at what's going on right now. If they get that TAPS bill through, uh, H.R. 838, they can actually start taking people in who they feel at some point could uh, be a threat to to the government and in a very broad sweep. That's a dangerous place for America to go. And I think that if we're ever going to look at at options on how to address this and how to understand it and things that we can actually do, we had better start looking at all of our options and looking at really real options. These guys did something, I think, that if you ever remember anything, maybe at some point you'll remember hearing this on the show. Maybe at some point we'll remember, you know what, this might be a way to get through to people. Maybe. Just food for thought. I'll be right back. Let's 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 uh, let's uh, correct something in history, shall we? In the next segment, be right back. Kate Daly Show. Want to participate in stock market gains with zero risk? Join Lyle Boss of Boss Financial Saturday mornings at nine on St. George News Radio fourteen fifty. Balance of nature, changing the world one life at a time. I have been plagued with esophagus acid, and it burns the esophagus. I've had it for 30 years, and I've had doctors give me prescriptions for it and everything. I never got rid of it. I've been on the balance of nature for about three and a half, four months. It is completely gone. I didn't even notice it. It has to be the balance of nature because it's the only supplement I'm taking. And I just wanted you to know that because it's uh, made a world of difference in my life. I just wanted to let you know. Experience the balance of nature difference for yourself. For a limited time, all new preferred customers will receive an additional 30% discount and free shipping on your first balance of nature order. You will also receive an extra $10 off on any additional set of fruits and veggies you purchase. This summer special will expire, so don't wait. Call 800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code CANYON. Good sleep and good health go hand in hand. Get your Z's and life's a breeze. Hi, I'm Dave Mizrahi, owner of Best Mattress, and I want you to be healthy and happy. I'll get you there with a huge Best Mattress Labor Day sale. Here's how. Get a free adjustable base, free pillows, and free sheets when you buy a queen mattress for $5.99 or more. We've got the brands you know and trust. Serta, iComfort, Sealy, Beautyrest, and Stearns and & Foster. Shop now, save big at Best Mattress, home of the Sleep Easy Guarantee. Finley Subaru invites you to dare to compare. Compare Subaru with any other brand before you buy. Here are the facts. Subaru vehicles hold their value better than any other brand for four years running according to ALG. Subaru is rated number one in owner satisfaction according to the American Consumer Satisfaction Index. Subaru is Kelly Blue Book's most trusted brand for five years running. Dare to compare. Today, during the Subaru A Lot to Love event at Finley Subaru. On the saving side of the freeway. Because we believe in you. FinleySubaru.com. Have you been struggling with erectile dysfunction? Hi guys, it's Andrew with Wasatch Medical Clinic. There is now a breakthrough and long-lasting fix for erectile dysfunction that does not require medication, injections, or surgery. You heard that right, no more pills. This new treatment is called acoustic wave therapy. It utilizes an FDA-cleared device that is clinically proven to increase blood flow, exactly what you need more of if you have ED. 
With just a few short treatments in our clinic, you can eliminate erectile dysfunction completely. Call in the next three minutes, and we'll give you the initial doctor's exam, assessment, and blood flow ultrasound totally free. That's a $300 value. Call now, 435-922-7000. That's 435-922-7000. If you have erectile dysfunction and you're sick of the pills, call Wasatch Medical Clinic right now for that free assessment. 435-922-7000. Don't miss Financial Strategies. Saturday at noon on St. George News Radio, 1450 AM and 93.1 FM. Financial Strategies, hosted by Trevor Carlson, will introduce you to the products and professionals that will provide you with the best strategies and tools to live more abundantly. Tune in every Saturday at noon to Financial Strategies, right here on St. George News Radio, 1450 AM and 93.1 FM. Financial Strategies is brought to you by Heritage Reverse Mortgage, an equal housing lender, NMLS number. 1497455 At Volunteers of America, we don't just give kids a way to stay off the streets. We give them the tools they need to reach their full potential. We don't just help the elderly receive needed care. We help them live life to the fullest. We don't just provide food for homeless individuals and families. We provide job training and placement so they can buy groceries. Volunteers of America is a national organization that for over 100 years has provided programs and services that allow people to overcome their challenges to become vital members of their community. At Volunteers of America, we don't just help people. We help people help themselves. Find out how you can support the programs that are working in your community. Contact Volunteers of America today. Call one 800 899 0089. That's 1 800 899 Parents, did you know that high school dropouts make 42% less than graduates? Someone will have to make up that difference, and chances are that will be you. That means paying 42% of their groceries. Ooh, more candy. 42% of their dentist bills. No, no more candy. Even 42% of their therapy sessions. It's all my dad's fault. Save your money. Encourage your kids to stay in school. For help and advice, call 877-F-O-R-A-K-I-D. A message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. wonder I can think at all And my lack of education hasn't hurt me none I don't know, I beg to differ, I think it's hurt us a lot <laughs> Oh, welcome back to the Kate Daly Show I'd like to correct uh, some history that we're kind of steeped in right now You know, a lot of talk about reparations, you know, from the the idiot Marianne who's running for president but um, but also there's a lot of talk about this and there's a lot of talk about our whiteness and our blackness right and and how um, slavery we keep going back to this issue we keep going back to the the you know we're such a racist nation and I would like to draw attention to something that we've been told that isn't quite right and I think if we all understood what I'm about to talk about I think and, and a lot of you probably uh, will probably understand why I'm addressing this is because we're sold such a box of rocks um, in history 
the, all the crap we learned in high school. That's exactly right. Is that if we understood a little bit more, if this was actually talked about the way it happened, do you think our country would be different? I do. So I want to talk a little bit because I just covered maybe a humorous way to shine a light on what's going on to wake people up out of their slumber when a government becomes really oppressive. Okay, and I just talked about Norway and what what these two guys did in within their court system to show that the Justice Department had gotten so so horribly bad. And I want to talk about our history a little bit here in America. Um with uh, the Underground Railroad, because that story is very interesting. I asked my um, son, I said, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Underground Railroad? And we were talking about a lot of Americans. The first person they think of is Harriet Tubman. She's on a ship. She's on a stamp. They wanted to put her on the on the uh, I think it was a replacer with, you know, for the twenty dollar bill. Museums. That was a couple of years ago. Museums. Um, I mean, parks, street. I mean, you name it. You name it. She's become this icon. But the problem is, is that we weren't really told the correct story. And there was an author back in the 40s that tried to tell the correct story about her. And they actually, about the whole situation, not just her, but the whole situation. And he was really condemned for it. I mean, he really faced a lot of persecution for trying to get to just talk about the truth of what actually happened back in the uh, late 1700s and the 1800s. And the reason that I say this is, is because this got rolling in the late 1700s. And they started devising these plans, these escape routes. Um, and Harriet Tubman wasn't even born until 1820. In fact, she didn't even escape her uh, situation until 1849, almost 1850. And so she came along later in the game. She came along much later in the Underground Railroad. And when you look her up, a lot of people will look up, you know, who was the founder. And they always try to insert Harriet Tubman's name, which I always find find a little compelling that they're always trying to do that. But then they use language like, well, she was a very prominent figure of the Underground Railroad or she was uh, the Moses of her people and and so forth. But let me talk about what actually what really happened going back. And the the records are hard to come by just because we just they, they don't go here a lot. But it was the Quaker abolitionists. There were actually many, many white couples and 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 white gentlemen that helped well over thousands of slaves, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 slaves, putting everything on the line, and I mean everything, to create this Underground Railroad. It wasn't exactly an Underground Railroad. It was very figurative, but it was uh, an underground sort of resistance to what was going on, and there were many, many, many people who wanted to change the system, sort of like George Washington wanted to change the system, and he even had slaves, but he also understood that they wanted something very different here, and that this was a way of life for everybody. This was very, very common, um, not for everybody, but it was common, and it was accepted But they knew that they were going to be changing this. But the Underground Railroad came by way of devising meeting points, because this always intrigues me, too, is how they did it. Meeting points and secret routes and transportation and safe houses. And the one thing to understand about this is nobody ever had a clear uh, big picture of what was going on. They were very compartmentalized so that the whole plan would never be interrupted. And you would go to a safe house of this gentleman over here. It could be white or could be black or could be from a different country, 
because there were all different kinds of races involved in this um, in helping. But you wouldn't know, you would only know the next destination. You wouldn't know three destinations ahead. Okay, and so basically they had these connecting stations and they had uh, former slaves. They had freeborn blacks. They had white abolitionists who put their careers on the line and money on the line. They also had Native Americans that were helping out, too. They had church clergy. They had congregations played a role, especially the religious society of friends, the Quakers, the Congregationalists, uh, the Reformed Presbyterians and uh, a lot of mainstream. uh, denominations at the time, Methodist and American Baptist. And to reduce the risk of infiltration, a lot of people associated the Underground Railroad knew only their part. That's why I say they were the conductors, the people that actually brought them from house to house or area to area. The conductor pretended to be a slave sometimes in order to enter a plantation. Um, They basically uh, they traveled at night, about 10 to 20 miles to each station. They rested and then they would uh, they would keep going, and they called them depots and stations. They came up with different words so that they couldn't be discovered, so that people wouldn't understand. And these were located in barns and under church floors and hiding places and caves and hollowed-out riverbanks all along the way. There were people that made this possible, and a lot of white people made this possible, along with the free-born blacks or the uh, those that had already escaped. And then, of course, it was to get to Canada, which they called the Promised Land. Um, you know, the song Swing Low, it's the song Swing Low points to this because it, they were talking about they would use sometimes songs. Harriet Tubman would too songs in code um, to talk to other people and to kind of give them a message. And so. As they would uh, travel on boat or on train, there were people that paid for it. They were called the stockholders. These were the people that actually put in their their family fortunes to make sure that they could help out with this effort. It was large. It was a big effort. Harriet Tubman ended up saving about 70 people. She did about 13 runs. A lot of the gentlemen that started from the very beginning in this literally saved thousands and thousands and thousands of 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 slaves to get out of their areas. And, um, and when they say there's a lot of history that says it started in the thirties, but there's also a lot of history that goes to the way back machine and says, no, this actually started in the, in the late 1700s after that first, uh, act was passed, you know, the slave act was passed. And so, um, they had station masters, they had the stockholders, they contributed money or goods. Um, and then, um, they, uh, they also had their songs. Like I said, the follow the drinking gourd, a lot of different different songs that would help people understand. They also followed the Big Dipper. They they looked up into the sky. They knew that moss grew on the north side of trees. And so they, because uh, many, many, many were illiterate. And so that this is how they found their way. And they would share this information amongst each other. Um, and then, um, of course, uh, if you were caught, oh boy, and many of them were, many of them were uh, thrown into court and, and so forth because of, of their involvement in it and what they were, what they were up against, what they were doing. But what I wanted to bring um, attention to as well was that these people were very, um, they were very solid. They knew they, they had their own ideas. They knew exactly what they were about. They understood why they were doing what they were doing and would have done it all over again. In fact, um, 
uh, Harriet Tubman went on um, to um, go and, and help the military. She helped the military. She helped um, and, and, like I said, save about 70 slaves. But she wasn't the biggest icon in this whole thing. It's just she was female. She was black. She was a great, you know, kind of person to put at the helm of this. But had they told the truth about this story, had they told the truth about so many different people that stepped in to risk it all, white and black and Native American, wouldn't we be so much of a different country right now? Wouldn't we be so different? In fact, Tubman um, was friends with Thomas Garrett, a Quaker station master. He actually saved almost 3,000 slaves at the outbreak of the Civil War. They had, uh, we had uh, various people, various stories that came out of this of individuals that, like William Still, they had William Still and, uh, and also, um, um, William Still actually was uh, was a person that kind of called the father of the Underground Railroad and helped uh, hundreds of slaves to escape. Um, and then also we have uh, stories of the couples, the couples that worked together to do this, too. And I think looking back at this, um, I don't know about you, but one thing that interests me about this story is how they did it. Because because of um, not having a lot of education, how did they devise a system under the system of a very oppressive system at the time to do what they did? That's that's number one. And I think it was the ingenuity of so many people that honestly, truly came to their aid to do it. They had to have had that in order to work together. They had to name things different things and so people wouldn't understand. There was a Presbytery, a Presbyterian minister, Rankin, um, and who was very, very involved and um, was in uh, was in court and, and had to had to go through and, and you know, lose things in order to be part of this um, this experience. But was okay to do so there were they were they were very much in favor of this and really wanted to understand what they could do to help out um i also look at at some of these individuals um that that were so willing to do it by saying that this was about the human cause and that 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 was the only reason that they were there um uh, so many of them their communities knew their um, congregations, like I said, were involved, that you can't overlook the fact that it took a lot of people to understand what was going on at the time. But we, um, even coming from this situation, even back then, and we had white slaves, we had Irish slaves, we had um, um, all kinds of, of slavery issues going on. In fact, if you really wanted to get into this issue, I could talk about the fact that uh, the lifelong slave, the lifelong slave idea actually came from a black slave owner um, to their own black slave. That actually uh, stemmed from that. And and at the, at the time, it was a slave for a certain amount of time um, to earn passage or voyage, but also, and that could go with white slaves too, but at the time, but... As far as that goes, the one that came up with that was actually a black slave owner at the time um, or early in the um, uh, earlier part of the, the century before. So it's kind of interesting how that all plays out in in our history. Um, the individuals involved, there were really kind of, I think, more or less maybe eight individuals or couples, if you will, 
that really uh, the president of the Underground Railroad, Levi Coffin, um, he became an abolitionist at the age of seven. And he started bringing food to fugitives, and he was actually a very prosperous merchant that put it all on the line, and, and they think he saved about 3,300 slaves, he and his wife, Catherine. And uh, they went around to um, to honestly go around and, and talk to everybody about being part of this. They had so- uh, sewing society meetings where they would meet about this. And then his fellow Quaker, Thomas Garrett, um, even remained defiant when dragged into court and said, we're ignoring the laws. We're ignoring the laws and we're doing this and you can't stop us and that uh, and that we are going to make these changes. How different would our society today be if we talked about all of the white individuals that were some of the biggest part of the forming of the Underground Railroad because it wasn't Harriet Tubman. She used the system after it had already been around around 70 to 80 years. That 70 or 80 years was that that whole entire time was a lot of congregations going to bat a lot of people along the way devising a system. How different would the talks of reparations be today? How different we probably wouldn't be having them. But this is what our kids don't understand. This is what we're not getting is how many people were part of that. And it was a large group of people. This was not just a select number. There were a lot of people in the know on this. It had to have been that way in order for it to be successful and remain underground. And as we bring some truth to history, can we please talk about the actual truth? Harriet Tubman's a fine individual. She wasn't the one that went to bat in the very beginning and devised all of that. She was still a, a, a great individual, nice individual. But it's interesting how our history books had to pick it up from the 40s on and then go back in history and try and change our outlook on that. Isn't that interesting? Be right back on The Kate Daly Show. Overstreet and his team at New Millennium Group want to talk with you about something that is very important to them. Addiction. Addiction is one of the hardest things to overcome, and watching a loved one struggle can be even harder. If you or a woman you care about is struggling with addiction, you can reach out to the Renew Wellness and Recovery Center for Women. There, women can retreat to a safe and comfortable healing environment where their addiction is treated with a holistic approach. At Renew, They want to treat the root cause of addiction by focusing on therapy, healthy lifestyle, and spirituality. Cut through the smoke and mirrors and see current events through the lens of common sense. Think about how bad things must be at the federal level. For your state politicians to say, we're going to hold a constitutional convention and rewrite the Constitution. In the end, there's only two things we need to do. One, take the time to get right with God and just remember to be kind. The Joe Carey Show, weekday afternoons at 12. 